Welcome to Hunts and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Ollie Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's a pleasure to welcome Seth Olsen. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great welcome to, to the show. By way of an introduction, Seth, you're currently country manager for the Northern Europe region for MicroStrategy. Uh, you're having an incredible impact at the moment. Um, it's your first year within kind of a, a senior leadership field sales leadership position. But as an IC, just some incredible statistics and some incredible success. Um, over the five years, you've averaged over 200%, your best year being just under 500% of your of your number. You've made some absolutely huge, huge kind of deals, your largest of which is over 4 million. Um, you're three times president club, two times A of the year. And it's incredible to just learn about your amazing story because whilst you've not been indoctrinated within the playbook, you're kind of self-taught, you've had some exposure to it, and then you've really kind of incubated that and really brought that back to life in terms of what you're doing and the success that you're having right now. So we're really excited to tell your story and really share it with our viewers and our listeners. So let's uh, let's get st stuck in. So tell us how did you actually enter software sales? Take us right to the beginning. Where does it all begin? <laughs> yeah. All right, where does it all begin? Um, like a lot of people coming out of uni, knew nothing of what I wanted to do. Um, so there's, you know, the, the kind of period of six months of reflection post-uni, where do I want to go, where do I want to land? And I, I don't think I'll ever be able to remember exactly how I came to it, but there was just an epiphany moment where it was like, software sales, San Francisco, here we go. Go to Silicon Valley. Meanwhile, at this time, I'm, I'm originally from New Hampshire, so East Coast, completely different side of the country. Um, and I just remember signing up to LinkedIn Premium, and essentially, that's when my BDR role began, just being my own personal BDR to help me find a job on the other side of the country. Um, and really, there's two things there that kind of stood out where you know, it was a lot of being on the other side of the country, just going down, finding 20, 30 software companies. Didn't really know what they did or what exactly. Obviously, I found that out through the course of talking to them, um, but just had this vision to get into software sales and, and succeed in that vision. Um, ultimately, ended up landing at Burst, which was a, a cloud business intelligence and analytics company backed by Sequoia at the time. Um, and I couldn't have imagined a better place to start. So take us right there. So obviously, you know, it's incredible. You've, you've proactively gone out. You've sourced your first real opportunity. You've flown, well, it's almost the other side of the world, but it's obviously uh, in the US. But you, you've flown however many hundreds of miles and different city, brand new career. How, how, take us there. Indeed. So I started at Burst as a BDR or an SDR. Um, actually at the time, I think we called them LDRs, lead development, <laughs> but, um, and I also had the fun job of moving all the way to San Francisco, but covering the East coast. Oh, wow. <laughs> so obviously there's a three hour time difference. Um, and so I was in the office then, um, by 6am, 5am every day. Um, and really w where everything started in my career from an SDR and a BDR perspective was just 
purely into the get into that kind of machine act first think second type of grinding mentality um and so there is a lot of those early wake-ups um an interesting part walking down san francisco at 4 a.m in the morning uh, <laughs> we all experience you, that <laughs> you, you see some interesting things on the way to work um but there's a lot of great lessons learned you know the the in the bdr role it was all about grit and grinding it and putting in you know the 12 plus hour days 100 plus calls loving hearing no and and all of that um but also one of the great things about just being in that environment at that time, there was a big culture around success and learning. Um, as being part of a Sequoia-backed company at the time, uh, there was a great winning mentality and team mentality behind things. Um, and then also is the early on parts of, of being an SCR or BDR, it's, it's about networking. Um, so a lot of what I did beyond kind of chasing down leads or opportunities was sitting down with the VP of sales, random AEs at the time, um, you know, all the, everyone from our CEO to our marketing uh, director and just saying, how do you do it? How do I, how can I replicate what you've done? Um, and being in that culture and in that environment, it kind of started with Burst, but also just being in Silicon Valley as a whole at that period of time, you could just take any sales director out for a coffee and just be that eager BDR ready to learn. So you're obviously out in the wild. It's a, you know it's the first real kind of sales job you've ever had. How did you start to piece together what good looks like? How, how did you start to gain a perspective of of how you wanted to kind of develop yourself and to to start creating targets of excellence for yourself? So there's a I guess I'd unfold that in a couple of ways. So the target has always been, you know, to become a leading CRO. Um, and ultimately to get there, one of the great parts about sales, it's merit-based. So I knew that I needed to do my day-to-day -day job, hit my weekly quotas, monthly quotas, yearly quotas, whatever they were at that period of time, and exceed on that, thrive on the competition of competing with peers to make sure I was on top, um, but more importantly, it was a learning exercise. So you learn through the job and through doing and through going through calls and meetings and learn from the no's, learn from the yeses, repeat what happened in the yeses, um, but also going back to the point of you know networking and you know meeting with the third then CRO and, and saying, hey, what would you do if you're in my shoes? I'm trying to get to where you are, but 10 years faster. How do I do that? you've always gone and learned and seeked out the information that you need to know in order to be the best um, version of whatever it is that you're applying yourself to. Um, even from a recruitment perspective, you're always inquisitive around, okay, what's the process? How do I understand that and get to understand that better? Um, so I think, you know, obviously Burst was obviously a, a, a really interesting point for you in your career, right? Obviously you started as an SDR, you recently, you, you, you did an SD and a BDR, SDR, LDR um, role for a year. Then you transitioned up into into management, right? Mm -hmm. And started to lead the SDR team. Tell us about that point in journey and, and what why you decided to do that. Yeah, it's the interest. The most interesting part of kind of that transition was uh, going back to I was in San Francisco. Uh, Burst at the time was just opening up an office here in London and sending 
SCRs over for kind of six-month stints. So I put my hand up to go on one of those six-month holidays, for lack of a better term, <laughs> over to go work in London. Um, and here I am eight-plus years later. Um, so I came over originally the first couple of months. I was the SDR for EMEA at the time. Um, and based on the trajectory of the company and I was able to gel with the, the team here locally, that SDR position developed into an SDR manager position um, covering EMEA and APAC. Um, and we grew, I did that for two years, grew the team from just myself to four or six people at its peak. Um, we had an office based in the UK. We also had people in Singapore and Melbourne. Um, and that was when I really caught the bug in terms of people, the people management side of, of leadership. Because um, it was really interesting to see, first and foremost, kind of go through some of the strategy aspects of building a team, setting quotas, targets, delivering consistently consistently to the business. But then also, in particular, BDRs, um, you really get to make an impact on, on people's careers. And so that was obviously something that really interested me. And in terms of, you know, again, completely out of your comfort zone, you're obviously in a different country country different culture what do you think really kind of propelled you to to, to the success was it just the th was it the thirst for success what, what was it the thirst for learning what was really driving you at that time I think probably during that period was actually a crucial period where I really started to transition from work hard work hard work hard to okay let's figure out how we can start to work smarter and where we can optimize things to make your life easier, make the team's life easier, deliver better results, you know, enjoy life a little bit more because the BDR years are amazing, but they're, they're always a grind and you're always fatigued from it. Thankfully, you're generally you're younger when you do it because uh, it is exhausting. Um, but I would say kind of getting that grasp of, okay, now I'm just not an SDR covering this set of accounts for these one or two AEs. It's okay. I can see the impact of the SDR organization on the business, meaning how do we support a field sales team across all of EMEA and APAC that had 10, 15 AEs and covering different verticals, what are the strategy for those verticals, and really kind of delved into the strategy side of, of running an SDR team at that point in time. So obviously you've... You've, you've, you've been a student of the game in the SDR function, which is obviously a crucial part to any success of any uh, good seller. Um, you obviously then transitioned into an IC and out onto the field. Tell us about that transition and tell us about how you took what you learned as an SDR and started to then apply that second phase development into a field sales rep. Yeah, and, and there's a, a couple parts to that. and. One of the things during my SDR management time, um, I was able to work with the then uh, general manager, a guy called David Gray, great leader. And I was able to shadow the field sales team at that point in time into meetings to the point where I progressed up to where he was comfortable bringing in this young American guy and sending him out into the field. And so over the course of two years in SDR management, I kind of in the background to that, I was developing all the skills of being an AE. 
I was shadowing in the meetings. I was helping out with Salesforce and operations and just trying to, you know, really just sit in the background on as many calls and meetings as I could just to really learn from what the then AEs were doing. Um, and there's always a right time and a right place. There was an opportunity after two years of the SDR leadership position that I was able then to transition into the field at Burst. Um, and I did that for circa around a year, um, covering various verticals at that point in time, um, but starting to get my first six six figure deals, which, which at the time was huge and felt like a, a great milestone. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, after around a year in the field there, Burst got acquired by a company called Infor. Um, I was one of a few who kind of stuck it out for an, an initial transition period and then decided that it just wasn't the right fit for me and I wanted to essentially sell bigger deals and learn more. And so I had to think of where I could go to do that. Um, and Burst at the time, again, this is all under the, mm -hmm. the market of the, the data analytics space, Burst was maybe you'd call them a challenger, but a smaller vendor. And so I wanted to go to one of the more established vendors, stick within the same market um, so that, you know, I felt like I gained a little bit of an expertise in there, never be perfect in it, but enough of an expertise where I could really talk to the customers about not only the technical stuff, but the value they're getting out of the solutions and, and sell bigger deals. <laughs> and so that's why I landed over at MicroStrategy. Four very successful years, uh, almost four very successful years, um, being a student of the game at Burst. Obviously, you then moved over to MicroStrategy in 2017. You've entered into an enterprise account executive position. Um, talk to us about the environment of MicroStrategy at that point and what you entered into and um, how you continue to develop as an individual. Yeah, so it's... MicroStrategy is an established company. I'll put mm -hmm. it at that. Um, MicroStrategy is leading enterprise analytics platform, and there's a huge market for it. And the best thing is that focusing purely on or purely on enterprise, it's always big organizations, big deals. Um, but it's it it's a thirty year old company, um, and with that came into this environment where product wise some of the colleagues and um, some of the leadership team there were spot on and everything like that. But I also then at that point in time identified that, hey, there's things that I have to learn from the outside um, and really to continue to, to improve my game, continue to improve the value that I can provide for customers. Um, and that's probably when you know even further self-learning began um, over the course of those four years um, and, and I think notably it almost reflects in some of the results over those four years. Because uh, so the first year there was very much so a learning year. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a few net new logos, build a little bit of my business, get that machine going, um, but then just propel that through years two to four of being an, an IC there. Um, and a lot of that had to do with you know, the, the foundations of MicroStrategy but also outside learning um, as much as I could, you know, whether it's going, reaching out to leaders of notable software companies and taking them out for a coffee or listening to, to podcasts such as Hunters and Unicorns, obviously. <laughs> um, but 
and then reading like you know reading books so there's never been a time where there's this good of a exposure to all the works of the playbook community so i'll say i thank you guys for for your work that you're doing in that um but really through those year four years of of being in a at microstrategy that's really where that self-learning and development uh kind of came to its critical mass so what was it that because you know there's there's lots of learnings you know you can go on the internet and you can get lost with all the different types of selling, you know, and all the different methodologies that are out there. You know, why did you choose to, to, to follow the paths that you've chosen? What was it that really stuck out about those different options? I guess I always look to who has been the most successful and why. You know, and that's both from a company and an individual standpoint. So you look to the likes of Mongo and App Dynamics and Snowflake and and many others, and you see, okay, what are what are they doing that we're not, or what are they doing that I could do more of? Um, and then who there, you know, what those and just the company, but then also the individuals. What's their career background? How have they got to where they are? Um, what what methodologies are, are they practicing? How are they selling? And just always being curious to what others are doing, I think really helped. And then, you know, once you kind of get a grasp of what some of these organizations are doing and, and why they're winning and why they're succeeding, then like you mentioned, it's it's very easy to, to go online, research. Um, there's never been better access to what McMahon and Kaplan and that whole crew and all of them are doing. Um, and just whether it's podcasts, books, um, or just picking up the phone and, and networking and, mm. and asking them. And for me, this is the point, and this is the, one of the real core reasons why we wanted to get you on the show today, Seth, was to, to really understand and get your perspective of, you know, this isn't something that's being taught to you. You're going out there and you're going and finding this information. So. What it's allowing you to do is really differentiate yourself and give yourself maybe an edge over your other peers. Um, but what did you? What were the notable things that you saw yourself doing that really gave you that extra edge? What was it? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I don't want to do too much of a disservice. It's just not all self-learning. There's a lot of great things at Burst, a lot of great things at MicroStrategy, even better things at MicroStrategy today. Um, but it, it was always around how, first and foremost, looking at how we win and lose. And I, I always felt like we just got stuck in extremely technical conversations, where even I was, if I were sitting at the end of the the other end of the table, was like, would I would I buy what this guy's selling? You know, where's the value in this for me? What, how does this change my business? How are you different than that guy or that, that one? Um, and that's really where it's like, all right, how do we differentiate? How do we switch to selling value and selling solutions? And then obviously that opens up a whole um, playbook of, of, of ideas there. Um, but really doubling down on emphasizing on, okay, I'm not selling software. I'm not selling a product. I'm telling us selling a solution and it provides value to this business by impacting you know these key kpis and it gets that person promoted and that person 
into the role they want and that just unlocks a whole nother area of of going kind of going back to my personal why it's like i want to lead organizations and you can't lead unless you're really selling in a different approach was the impact of applying that mindset instant or did it take time to kind of harness definitely time (laughs) definitely time time and practice how did you know to stick at it? You know, what, why did you think I need to stick at this and really kind of perfect this? I would say there, obviously there's a level of success that was had with it in my career and I could kind of say, okay, yeah, I think we, I think we won it because of that. There's a lot of that. Um, but just more generally, the, one of the key things was the level of people that I was talking to in an organization. You know, when we were running kind of the standard technical band playbook, whatever it was back in the time, you know, you get lower level stakeholders. Um, there'd be seemingly no compelling event. You'd win some, you'd lose more than that. But um, when started impl- uh, um, implementing some of these ideas, um, then just getting more senior engagement, actually speaking to them about the initiative and their strategy of what they're working on that's where i really saw it start to click and in terms of when you were kind of going through that you're obviously were you tracking the metrics what what how did you know obviously you can see some of the conversations but were you tracking it in any way were you doing anything more intentional to really understand where you are on that on that path the point in time of an AE, I could have definitely been more well-tuned. Um, and hence why there's a lot of tracking that we do now. Um, you know, as a leader, I'm very intensive with it a- across the team to, to track both the, the leading indicators and the post indicators, um, you know, who we're talking to, what we're talking to them about. Um, as an AE, you know, I was, I was focused on, okay, how can I sell bigger deals and reduce the, the clip? time to close and it was a bit of chaos and uh and then everything through time got organized do you think that because you obviously had to work that out your appreciation of these metrics now really makes sense to you because you you've you've literally had to work that out and you can see the importance of that it's it's almost a shortcut in some ways you know taking the playbook approach um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm doing this week with my team is we're just we're running a whole training on um, creating value offerings and how to execute uh, MBMs um, and just really transitioning to some of the tactical stuff you can do. Um, you see tremendous results from it. And medic for you was was medic a medic or medpick a, a thing for you at MicroStrategy? Was that something you took on as your own initiative? When were you introduced to medic? I was introduced first introduced to it um, probably at the time. This dates back to 2018, 2019. Um, in terms of one of the kind of exterior learning things I was doing was I took part in um, it was. Revenue Collective, it's now Pavilion. Right. And so I, you know, at the, that per point in time, I was like, all right, MicroTrade is providing a great foundation, but I want to learn more. So I, I seek some exterior connections with through that, and that's where, you know, I was able to network 
with some sales leaders at that point in time, also took some of their courses. And uh, I'll never forget, there's, there's, as part of one of the courses, we, we were lucky enough to get an hour with John McMahon. Oh, wow. And after that, bought the book, read it five times, <laughs> read it another five times. No, I didn't read it 10 times. But um, that was probably the key transitionary moment in terms of medic or medpick. Right. Okay. And um, so obviously as a, an enterprise AE, um, talking to your first year, which is obviously your building year, really then started to continue that that development and personal development um 2019 230% of your target which again is probably the start of real high trajectory sales and really starting to smash those targets was that the bit that really cemented all the additional effort and everything you were doing that it was starting to come together I want to say yes but no cuz you know you you get that win and whether that win got me to 230% or not, but you're always thinking you could have done something, something more. So enterprise sales, obviously as said, very, very successful year, then step up into a senior enterprise account executive. Um, you run that for, for two years. Um, where did Snowflake come in? Talk to us about the, the next move. Cause yeah. at that point, obviously 2022, you move over to Snowflake. Talk to us about that point in your career. Yeah, and, and so continued through those four years as an, an AE at MicroStrategy. Um, the success was there, the learning was there, but it just never felt like quite enough. I always feel like the, almost mm -hmm. the numbers didn't even matter. You know, there, I could be doing more, I could up my game a little bit more. Um, and so I went through a little bit of a soul searching moment and said, okay, where can I go learn more? You know, I was selling seven figure deals at the time, so it wasn't necessarily where can I go sell more, but it's where can I go learn more? Where can I go develop more? Where can I gain those skills? So I'm ready to take that leadership jump um, when the opportunity presents itself. Um, and at the time, Snowflake was a great opportunity. Playbook company, great sales leaders, um, very close related market to the one I was in at the time with MicroTrade and now I'm in again. Uh, we're partners with them, but um, it just seemed like a great jump where I didn't need to worry too much about the technology side of that because I was familiar with it and I could just continue on in the, the learning adventure. What would you say were the real learning points of that role? You know, what, what did you learn in addition to what you had learned through your own personal development and also, you know, um, your experience at MicroStrategy. Yeah, and um, it was, you know, probably some, I don't know if it's the most, but close to the most uh, beneficial or impactful six months I've had in my uh, sales career. Um, and it, it was a short stint, but it wasn't by design. Um, We'll get onto that in just a moment, I'm sure. Um, but it was essentially, it was like a, a six month crash course in the playbook um, community um, and, pra and best practices. And really what, what stood out to me the most throughout that time at Snowflake, I mean, obviously great, great product, but more importantly, great people and great colleagues and leaders, but um, the emphasis on PG. Right live and die by PG. Um, 
which was always coming from a, a BDR background. You know, that's kind of how I built my own business as, as when I moved into the field as an AE, but just how to, so it wasn't necessarily on the individual level, the importance of PG, but how do you collectively build that as a group? And how do you, you know, set the vision, get the team mindset there, and then put the structures and the discipline in place to, to excel at that. Uh, that was a, a very strong key learning that I'll always thank Snowflake for there. Were there any interpretations of what you had studied kind of um, in a more academic way when actually you saw it in practice at somewhere like Snowflake? It kind of helped you really understand and see how it really came together? Or were there, did you have any kind of miss was any of your interpretation misconfigured and did snowflake help you recalibrate that in any way i i'll give credit in terms of the mindset around truly selling to value value offerings value pyramids um and just the rigor in terms of okay you've got an mbm how do you prepare for it? What are you leading with? How, where's your value offering for that? Um, you know, why, why do you think this, they'll respond to this? Or, you know, how go, go through and do the practice of this and just the next level of um, dedication and, and focus in terms of whether, whether it's through my time at Snowflake or Microsoft or Burst, it's just, hey, throw the product out the window. You know, what's the value? What's the solution you're going to be selling them? So it's not necessarily that you there was a misinterpretation. It's the discipline to the application, which was more profound to you rather than actually understanding the teachings. Yeah. And do you think that's the big difference between there's lots of organizations that run this type of playbook, but the playbook companies do it particularly well. Do you think that's the kind of the difference between the interpretation and, and how it's actually applied? Yeah, because you have the tactics and the process and kind of your engagement model. Um, but it, then, then it just becomes around the culture and the mindset to actually go and do it. And the, the A players that you bring in to execute that playbook. Because it doesn't matter if you have the best playbook and the best customer engagement model the best sales process, it's around the people that you bring in to execute that vision. So why did you not stay? Very good question. Um, my journey is always to be, has always been to become, you know, one of the next leading CROs. And when another point of when I was leaving MicroStrategy, I was, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, I, I felt ready to move into leadership. Um, they were extremely grateful to be offering me opportunities back in the U.S., uh, but unfortunately, I just I bought a house. I have a dog here. I got a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I was like, guys, I can't, can't just move back now, um, but there wasn't anything within the U.K. or within Europe at the time, and for all the reasons just mentioned, you know, the great learnings at Snowflake. That's why I made the jump to Snowflake. Um, and then throughout the start of my time at Snowflake, um, I think I was there a matter of four or five months before the CRO and the CEO of MicroStrategy rang me up and said, we got the opportunity you wanted. 
and you know we're we're ready for you to come back and and lead lead the team you know are you interested um and it was it was a period of reflection because obviously the role the company the people i'd work with 100 percent um i wanted to come back ultimately that's why i did come back <laughs> obviously um but there was just like oh i'm learning so much good stuff have i learned enough from stuff like it was almost like that at that point in time um and then a couple of months later, decisions were made and uh, came back to, to lead the team at MicroStrategy and uh, probably one of the best decisions I've, I've made in my career because essentially one of the, the best parts about moving back, you know, going away to Snowflake, having that learning exercise, then coming back and getting to double down and re-implement all of that stuff at MicroStrategy plus everything else I've learned in my career and plus what it other things, tactics, micro-strategies working on um, really gets you into the mode of how you see things actually, inf how you see all these tactics actually get influenced the, the sales cycles, the processes, um, and it's been very impactful. So obviously that exposure to seeing it applied at a kind of across the entire organization and the rigor of that, that kind of gave you a belief in this is, you know, I really, you kind of doubled down on it. And what impact has that had since you've kind of introduced some of those? I know it's collaboration, but mm -hmm. what kind of impact has it been having at MicroStrategy, you really applying a lot of those principles? Yeah, and, and, and MicroStrategy of, well, then it was 2022 when I came back and, and now of 2023, it's, um, it's in a very unique position where we, we are an established software company, but with a wide base of customers um, and historic success. And that fundamental puzzle piece that was missing was just, you know, an excelling sales playbook. Um, and what we were able to do is take the success that was there and further to that, because uh, it had dipped off a little bit. Know, there's there'd been a couple of changes in leaders there'd been a couple of years where, where things could have been um, a little bit smoother let's say um, but coming back into microstrategy and having through partnership with our, our CEO or CRO and some of our, our European sales leaders you know having their back in to say hey we're going to become a playbook company now let's go implement it's not about medpick, you know, that's just one one of these tactics. It's 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 about the culture, it's about the mindset, it's about the vision we're on. Coming back, reintroducing all of that. Um, and it's been fun. It's been a learning experience. You know, I think the f one of the key things we first did at the beginning, going back to PG, was just, guys, don't even care how much we close this quarter. Let's just double and triple down on PG. And for a couple quarters, we did PG, excelled our targets, made that the only priority. And then that ultimately what that's ultimately one of the key reasons why we're able to take a team that was when I came back performing 30, 40 percent of their number. And then Q1 of this year, we we're able to get over 210 percent of our quarterly number. Wow, that's a significant increase. And it's that question, which is going back to comment that you made at snowflake um which was just 
how much you know PG was being implemented and the discipline behind that. Um, you know, did it help being in an environment where everybody was disciplined in that, rather than in an environment where it's only us or it's only me that's doing it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And there's two sides to that. There's the competitive side because mm. because obviously we're in sales, you want to be at the top of the leaderboard. Um, but probably more importantly, there's the collaboration and learning that comes through that. Oh, you tried this type of message. Oh, you're chasing that type of account with this message, reaching out to this stakeholder with this point of view. Um, and really through the collaboration, that's also a huge game changer. So how have you now found that exact same situation now trying to implement a playbook within a large organization where has it started to have an impact? Are other business units looking in on you? Are management really starting to think, what's Seth doing? Why is he doing things different? Or is it a unification of this process and playbook that is now starting to be adopted across the whole organization? Yeah, it is, it's actually, it's, it's a well-timed question. Um, but I get one of the key parts is our, our VP of Europe, Emmanuel Bouchard, he's fully backed this. He himself comes from ex playbook companies and he's really helping me deliver this not only in my region but also across the business so uh just yesterday uh we were doing a, a training exercise or enablement knowledge share however you want to frame it um where i was going through our pg best practices as a region to all the sales leaders across europe and we're going to standardize across not saying we're going to standardize solely on what I'm putting forward, but using that as the framework to then evolve from there, um, from a PG exercise, we've done the same with stuff like QTRs. Um, and to me, uh, uh, of course, some of that is a little bit satisfying to see your stuff being recognized and repeated elsewhere. But uh, the best part of it, again, is, you know, it's it's about the learning and the knowledge that other teams and other, unit, uh, other business units can collaborate and add to that so that ultimately the final product and the final output is that much better have you seen that the culture has been quite infectious it, has it been fully embraced has there been a res any resistance has it been kind of a hard transition yeah so it, it's it's been a smooth journey um hasn't been perfect um but we we saw a lot of the team become early adopters if you will of it and now those are the same ones that are exceeding their their quotas to date um, we've seen some who were, you know, kind of a little skeptical at first, um, but now they're, they're bought in and they're, they're motivated. Um, and then of course there's always certain, certain circumstances where people aren't on board and you just have to determine what the right fit and the right, uh, direction for those people is. And how does having a central playbook like this give opportunity for coaching? It's the, so we're a data and analytics company, so we got a lot of data, <laughs> but the, the data that the playbook we're operating under now produces just for example, under PG is, is very impactful for coaching. Uh, I'll give you a, a great example. So um, one of the things we're working on right now with the team is, you know, we, we measure pipeline created new business meetings, discovery calls, we go through it on a weekly and a monthly basis. Um, and one of the things we can see is that, hey, 
were over exceeding in terms of pipeline created, discovery calls are right on point with where they should be, but we've got a little bit of a dip in the new business meetings. And that's not that that's ultimately outright wrong that it's there, you know, because we're still exceeding the pipeline creation targets. But hey, how do we then say, all right, we didn't start this with a proper new business meeting. So let's go through and see, hey, is this really qualified? You know, what is our value offering for this um, for this customer or prospect? Have we engaged? Do we have a champion? Have we tested that champion? Have we engaged with the economic buyer? You know, do we really truly understand their pain to a point where we can uh, not only identify but indicate and implicate that pain? Um, and the amount of data that running the playbook provides um, just provides so many more coaching opportunities than oh, it moved from this stage to this stage in Salesforce. And so uh, it's been very impactful in that way. So what's your outlook on kind of micro strategy now and, and, and the kind of the next few years? Extremely optimistic. <laughs> uh, and, and genuinely so. Um, in terms of from a product perspective, you know, the product's never been stronger. Just launched MicroStrategy 1 at our last conference last week. But more importantly, in terms of our go-to-market strategy and where not and again this is not just across the, the U UK and Northern Europe but this is more more so across the whole organization just the level of sophistication and value and sophistication in the ways we're going to provide value for our customers has completely changed over the course of the last couple of years obviously you can see the difference but do you think that what impact is do you expect that this will have on the overall business? I suppose is the question that I want to ask. I think what we'll see is a huge uptick in short term pipeline creation, followed then by obviously closed business. Um, but more importantly, you know, the success of our customers will, you know, these will be providing more impactful solutions where our customers, it, one of the, the key things I love is, is, is all around champion building and you know, using champions to say, hey, this is how we impacted this business and this, this person's career. Um, and being able to deliver those valuable solutions for the customers, then everything just becomes clockwork because everything's moving in that direction. I think it's, you've you've given a huge amount of inspiration um, to individuals that may be in within the playbook community and have questioned stepping outside of the community, right? And thinking of going and joining an organisation which may not, you know, uh, have the playbook within the organisation. Um, what advice can you give to somebody that may be really bought into an opportunity, bought into management, the technology? but they may not necessarily adopt that, um, the playbook. How does that person go and start the process of being able to implement that and start influencing that within an organization? I think there's a couple of things. There's leading by example is a key one. Um, and because sales is so merit focused and you, know, you can lead through a sales cycle, deliver on that sales cycle and um, introduce 
all these new ideas. Um, and through that, obviously, you get the success, ideally, hopefully, touch wood. Um, but you, you also, you know, you're working with your, your wider account team and you're getting them bought into the process. Um, so even just as an individual going out, whether it's through the learning site your organization provides, going out, doing some self-learning, implementing that on every conversation, every meeting, every sales cycle you're having, bringing in your wider account team into this mindset, you can start to make a change just through that alone. I think it's a perfect, I think it's a perfect time to reflect on what we've heard because I think there's some, some real key things that have really, really kind of jumped out listening to your story. And I think there's a lot of people out there that perhaps find themselves in, in, in a situation, a company, a role, where perhaps they don't have the resources around them that they, they necessarily need. And I think it's quite easy to hide in that situation and, and, and wait for others to come and help you. The reality is, is that you've never had it perfect but yet what you've been able to do is have the right mindset to go and work it out and make the best out of your own situation. And if the answers weren't immediately available to you, you were still able to go and really find the resources, find the people, and just make a success, the best success you possibly can of the situation in, in the best possible way. And I think that's really served you well because you've never rested on your laurels. You've always been a student of the game. And... The impact that that's had is profound because it's enabled you to go and develop and learn a playbook and really apply it. And now you can see how it's all really started to come together and the impact that your thirst for excellence is really having on an overall organization. And, um, you know, I think that's just an amazing, amazing uh, takeaway. And I, I'm certainly really enjoyed hearing your story we've obviously been working closely with you for a while now but it's amazing to share your story and I'm hoping that our, our guests and our our listeners will uh, will have taken a lot from the conversation today so thank you so much for, for joining us yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and a really inspirational uh, conversation for me uh, you know, for, for, for all those reasons and as I said I think you know this is for our viewers and you know our listeners it's an opportunity to think about what more could I be doing for myself stop relying necessarily upon the you know the, the things that are immediately available how do I go out there and seek new opportunity to learn and, and develop so um, yeah thanks ever so much for, for for giving us that inspiration today Seth. Thank you guys. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, please do um, subscribe um, to our following channels, iTunes, Spotify and um, YouTube. All the links are in the description below. But we look forward to welcoming you back to another session soon. Thank you very much.